<laughs> Welcome back to the Self-Care for Performers podcast. My name is Marissa Harumi Moses, and I am your anchor point for deepening into conversations about the challenges and opportunities that lay in a self-caring approach to embodied performance practice. I'm so excited to welcome you to the fourth episode. Mm, Wow, this has been a journey already for me to get these conversations out here to share with you. While I definitely have a lot of practice deepening into very personal conversations in the privacy of my own home or behind the scenes of my interpersonal relationships, this choice to record and share some of them more publicly in a podcast with you is (laughs) bringing up a lot of resistance. So I'm just going to breathe into that. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah. Hmm. Yet one of the opportunities for growth I most enjoy witnessing is when my friends and students choose to do the hard thing, when their soul is calling for change. So why not practice this very thing myself? (laughs) Which brings me to my current edge and pleasure to stretch my own capacity with the intense fire, resilience, honesty, and integrity that I get to share with my two guests on today's episode. These women have been energetic grounding rods for me in so many ways. Their professional encouragement and personal sisterhood have been something like to intravenous courage. Brene Brown speaks about courage in her book, The Gifts of Imperfection, by saying the following. The root of the word courage is cor, the Latin word for heart. In one of its earliest forms, the word courage had a very different definition than it does today. Courage originally meant to speak one's mind by telling all one's heart. Over time, the definition has changed. And today, courage is more synonymous with being heroic. Heroics is important, and we certainly need heroics. But I think we've lost touch with the idea that speaking honestly and openly about who we are, about what we're feeling, and about our experiences, good and bad, is the definition of courage. Heroics is often about putting our life on the line. Ordinary courage is about putting our vulnerability on the line. In today's world, that's pretty extraordinary. Ah, what a quote, right? So good. And now, it gives me such deep delight to introduce you to two formidable actors, soulful artists, creatively led entrepreneurs who just also happen to be two of my dear hearted friends, Alex Wright and Cody Jackman. (laughs) (laughs) We're doing it. We're doing it. We're doing it. This is so exciting. Cody pants when she gets. (laughs) I'm with you on it. Hi, everybody. I have two really beautiful, lovely uh, sister friends on uh, the show with me today. I have Alex and Cody. So excited! We're so very happy. Thanks for being here. Will you do like a brief little like? This is me. This is who I am. This is me. Sorry. <laughs> you should start. Yeah. yeah. You, go ahead. Take it away. For those who listen to Camp Rock. Uh, um, <laughs> hi, I'm Cody Jackman. I am an actor. I am friends with these two lovely ladies. Uh, and I also do branding and alignment for actors. What's Camp Rock? 
clearly I am young. <laughs> it was a movie with Joe Jonas and Demi Lovato where they went to a music camp and Demi Lovato sang a song called This Is Real, This Is Me that went, this is real, this is me. And then right. it continues, but I'm not going to sing on this one. I love it. So me and Alex are a generation so, above you. Yeah. And, I'm, sure, I'm sure there'll be listeners who totally are on the same page. We've got the yeah, listeners. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm Alex, right? I don't know about Camp Rock. I do now. I'm very happy to, to know that now. I am I am very lucky to call these two ladies friends and part of my life. Uh, I'm an actor and a coach and living in Los Angeles. Uh, yeah. Los Angeles. Los Angeles. Yeah. Why can't I say Los Angeles? Well, it's a complex place, right? Yes. I think that we've been talking. Uh, we've been talking a couple of hours now. Um, <laughs> with the wine, hence my right teeth. Yes, with some wine and snacks and delicious sisterhood, and some things that have been coming up that we've been chatting about are complexities, but mm-hmm. also about how moving through Los Angeles or a career or an industry that has you go go going. Yeah, it can be hard to slow 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 down. Yeah. It can be hard to slow, slow, slow when they ask you to go, go, go. Yeah, yeah. it's true. Mm-hmm. Hard. And I think like, I'll speak for myself, like not just hard, but like terrifying, like feeling that, you know, the opportunity is going to come when you're in the middle of slow, 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 mm-hmm. and it's going to, yeah. you're going to miss it. Like your once in a lifetime opportunity. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there's something really lovely when people are like, it only takes one job, you know, it only yeah. takes one job. Like there's something really lovely and hopeful about, about that, but there's also something very like um, scarce about yeah. that where it's like, oh, but I gotta be ready. I gotta be ready. And we right. were talking about this earlier. It's like, you're, you can be slow, slow, slow and still be ready, ready, ready. To yeah. Go, go, go mm-hmm. when you need to. Absolutely. I think pacing is such an interesting thing to like, yeah. just bring into the fold, into this connection yeah. we have that like pacing is individual. And also it's collective at the same time. Like you're on a project and the project has a certain kind of pacing, but like each performer or each um, participant in the creative capacity or the supportive Mm -hmm. roles, they're gonna have their own pacing as a part of like how they're coming in and out of the project. Yeah. Right. But also we have our own lives as well that I think so often gets the back burner as far as like there is no work-life balance that's that's touted as a performing artist what the narrative that I've been fed throughout schooling and training has been you better be ready to give up on all of your personal life everything in order to be there because the show must go on yeah I think there's something it's so interesting that you started with Los Angeles too because I think there's even something about Los Angeles that's like hurry up and wait like the amount of times that I have been in a high stakes situation or going traveling to a high stakes situation where I'm really, really nervous and I'm trying to prep for something, but then I'm in my car for like an hour and I just have to sustain that energy before finally walking into the room and then traveling back home. And like, even just the minuteness now, I don't know if y'all feel this, but like the feel, like the, the pressure that I feel like sometimes comes from my agents to always be able to respond, confirm within five minutes. But if I'm on a long car ride, like there is literally a piece of me that stresses out about checking my phone while I'm driving in case something comes in. Mm. And I just feel like it creates this underlying go, go, go. I need to hustle level of anxiety. And I'm sure it happens in other cities too, but I feel like, like it, I didn't feel it when I was in school and, and it feels very potent in Los Angeles because of it is, it's this, you need to be willing to drop everything at a moment's notice. At a moment's notice. Mm-hmm. And if I'm on my way to my mom's house, 45 minutes away and something comes in and it's self-tape that's due at 6 p.m. today, 
I need to call my mom, tell her I'm not coming, turn around, drive back home because I need to get this on tape and upload it in the next three hours, Absolutely. you know? Yeah. And I had certainly have friends who were expected to miss their grandfather's funeral who were yeah. expected to, and oftentimes did cancel trips out of the country because they right. are supposed to take a job that may or may not lead to more jobs depending mm -hmm. on where they're at in their particular mm -hmm. career mm -hmm. but the point is is that you're supposed to prove yourself reliable at the expense of everything yeah. else right. in your life i'm very fortunate my manager last year when my brother became paralyzed she she immediately called me because so i sent out an email to my reps and i was just like heads up this happened i'll probably be going home and she called me checked in on me and not once mentioned mm -hmm. anything about auditions, jobs, nothing, just stripped in on me. And then every day would check it on me. And then finally, at one point, she was like, I want to be mindful of where you and where you're at. Would you like me to stop submitting you? Would you like this time to, to not be working? Yeah. Which I thought was just like a lovely thing to offer. Yeah. And she didn't assume that I didn't want to work. Mm -hmm. She didn't assume that I would still work. And it sounds weird to say, but I was still like moved by that. Yeah. Um, but also like that should be, that should be the exception. That right. should not be something that moves you. Yeah. That should be. Yeah. And I was like, I, I was like, please keep, I, I, I need, I need to work. I need the distraction. Um, and then when I did go home, I was like, okay, now I'm going home. She's like, take as much time as you want. That's so beautiful. She gave that to you. Yeah. And also I love that what you're bringing up too, is like, that shouldn't be the exception. That should be the norm. That, right. that is actually healthy relational dynamic. Yeah. That's someone who is respecting you and your time and your needs, your emotional capacity, yeah. as well as like, you're just time and orientation of like where you need to be spending your focus. Yeah. And she's talked about this in clubhouse. Mm -hmm. She'll have clients who call her and, you know, she'll be like, why, where's this tape or like, why mm -hmm. we know, why is this late? And oh my God, I'm having, and they'll like lay out that they're burnt out or that, you know, and she's like, okay, well then I'm not submitting. <laughs> She'll be like, I'm not submitting you for six weeks. Like, no, 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 no. And she's like, she's like, out. no, yeah. I'm not doing that. Go sort yourself out in six weeks. I'll resubmit you again. She Cause she's that. like, she's like, I can't trust actors. Because we'll just be like, <laughs> I'm going to function until I like crack. Yeah. And then you can't be there. Take it out of my cold death grip. You know, <laughs> she's like, no. And, and I, and I really appreciate that. But, yeah. but also like, exactly. Like, we should not, there's so much fear. And I say this as someone who really struggles with it. There's so much fear around like, not like put me in coach, like not being ready for that. Put me in coach moment. I also feel like when I, and this might just be something like I have a really hard time communicating my needs because I never learned how to identify my needs as a human being, but I have learned that I will lie in order to have time for myself. Like if I am, if I am burnt out or if something personal is coming up, or if I need to go be with family for something, mm -hmm. or I'm supposed to be in a rehearsal for something that I, you know, it, I will, I will use the excuse of I've booked a different, I've booked another job. Mm -hmm. Cause that feels like people in the industry aren't going to push and prod and be like, well, are you sure? Can you stay late? Can you come early? It's like, oh, oh you booked that. something great. Go have fun on set, you know, do great. Let me know when you're, you know, free again. Mm -hmm. Whereas if I email people and I'm like, I need a weekend right. to just be mm -hmm. me or to heal this or to be with my mom, because this is going on. Mm -hmm. It feels like, yeah, but you can still tape while you're there. Right. right. And mm -hmm. it, I don't know, like, yeah, I don't know if y'all have done that, but I'm like, I, I have definitely noticed myself. I mean, lying literally like saying I've booked something because it feels like that's the only excuse that I'm not going to get pushed back on. Mm. Well, I think that like I had to learn certain kinds of code words or mm. phrases mm -hmm. that could stand in 
as something respectable, regardless of what it was. Right. Like a stand yeah. for, oh, I have an event. It could be a birthday party. It is an event. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm I already have a commitment. It could be to be in my bubble bath because I need some <laughs> mental health, but I have committed to that. Yeah. And I think people respect I have a commitment. They ex- yeah. uh, they respect I have an event. Yeah. They respect I'm already booked. It it could be to book to, on to a go vacation. get on a vacation, <laughs> right? With your family or with your significant right. other be, or to, you know, your kids if you have kids, you know. Mm-hmm. But I think that if we can use code words that are respected in order to just be blanket yeah. code words for something that we honor in our lives it doesn't have to be lying it could just be yeah. a framing that people will honor as a boundary my new favorite one yeah. and I, I use this with my mom sorry mom she's, <laughs> not, she's not watching this but sorry, um I'll say I'm with the client and Ooh. I am the client and if I say that she leaves me alone but if I'm like I'm watching tv I'll call you back she's like this will take this will be very fast mm-hmm. yeah and it's never very fast and so I'll just have to be like I'm with the client and this is like fuck Oh, I love that. And I'm like, I am the client. The client, not the client. Me. The client is me. <laughs> I had an experience with a close family member the other day and I was expressing a boundary. And I was like, you know what? I feel a little flooded and overwhelmed right now. Can we take a moment from this conversation? We can come mm. back to it. I just need to put a pin in it for mm. 10 minutes while I like have some alone time or like go to the bathroom or like and breathe right yeah yeah (laughs) I just need a little bit of space and breath before we keep going because this person in my life who I love dearly moves very quickly and very voraciously Mm -hmm. with the way they communicate and it it can feel unending sometimes Mm -hmm. yeah and so it's not that I need or want to change them but I do need to recognize I only have a certain amount of capacity that can keep going and I think this is a great metaphor for career too by the Mm -hmm. way as well as individual people but I had to recognize look I want to be here for you I care about you I value what you have to say and what you have to share and I can't intake anymore right now. Mm. Like if you keep talking, I will be tuning you out and all of the time we're spending together will be like, it didn't happen. Mm. I I need some space. And they kept going and going and going. Finally, I had to be like, look, I'm setting a boundary and you're not respecting it. Mm. I don't know if you understand this, but I've said it now three to five times, however many it was, Mm -hmm. and you're not respecting my boundary. And they were like, you're setting a boundary? (laughs) <laughs> I was like, yeah. Yes. So like, what is the boundary? I was like, I'm saying I'm overtaxed. My focus feels overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. I need some space and time. And they were like, oh, but it'll only take a minute. I'm like, this is you crossing my boundary again. Yeah. I recognize yeah. that it'll only take a minute. I don't have that space right now. Yeah. They're like, Oh, okay. And like, it did not compute. And I think some, we have to teach people how to treat us. And sometimes Mm -hmm. there's a lag effect and we have to sometimes be a broken record of this is what I need. This is what you're not doing. This Mm -hmm. is what I need. This is what you're not doing. If we're going to continue to work together, I would like us to be able to be on the same page. Can you get behind Mm -hmm. my needs? I would like to be here for yours, Mm -hmm. but it can't include blowing over my boundaries. This has been such a huge thing for me recently. So I teach at UCLA and they have this, what's the word I'm looking for? School-wide thing where you can like still sign up for someone's class, like four weeks into the quarter, which is crazy. I mean, because the quarter is only 10 weeks long. However, it's up to the teacher discretion. If after you've met, missed the first week, whether or not they let you in. And so I'm a teacher where if you've missed the first week, if it's an acting class, we've been doing ensemble building stuff. We've been building trust. You just, it's just too hard. You can't come in. 
And so having students come in second week, third week, fourth week, hi, I'm coming in. I'm here for your class. I'm so sorry. Thank you so much for coming in. I know a lot of people haven't been here the first week, but I hope we can work together next quarter. I think we teach people persistence, which is a beautiful thing to teach, Mm. but there is a difference between persistence and continuing to cross someone's boundary where no joke, this happened several times. I would go out to use the bathroom halfway through class. That person would be outside. I know you said no, but I just wanted to ask you one more time. You're bombarding me outside the classroom. No, I'm so sorry. No emails. I know you said no today, but can I coming back the next day? I'm back. I know you said no, but I wanted to say, please, please, please. I mean like this, like three people just like, and finally I was like, I don't know why you keep coming back Mm -hmm. (laughs) to one girl. I said, this makes me not want to work with you. Right. So please, I'm just, I'm saying no. And it was part of me was like, this is the universe teaching me boundaries because (laughs) I'm someone who so easily would be like, Oh, okay, fine. You know, but someone said to me, they were like, I think we teach young students young college mm-hmm. students, like be persistent, yeah. be precocious, like go after what you want. And it's like, yes, there's space for that. But there are also just boundaries right. where people go, thank you. No, right. but no, <laughs> it's an interesting conversation to have because the two like directly conflict with each other, but both are valuable, necessary and needed in the world, but also in this industry in particular, like what is, cause it's like, I think it's something that we get taught in the industry too. It's like, be persistent with casting directors that you know, you want to work with, but like some of those casting directors are the ones who are like, do not email me. Do not email me ever. Mm-hmm. Do like never, never, never email me. Right. And yet I'm sure they're getting hundreds of emails a day from. Yeah. I think it's about being respectful like, of what mm-hmm. people say. Yeah. Like, and being respectful of, I think it's both ways. Cause like if you reach out to an agent and they say, not right now, reach out in six months. Yeah. I've heard so many agents who are like, and then that person never writes back. Right. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. not persistence. Yeah. That's giving up. Right. And I think persistence would be awesome. Thank you. I will reach back out in six months and then reaching out in six months. Mm-hmm. That's persistence. Crossing a boundary would be, are you sure? Yeah. You sure? I think I know it's better for you. Yeah. I know it's not in six months, but are you sure? Please, please, please. Yeah. So I think right. that persistence is, I hope we can work together another quarter. And then you coming back the next quarter. Yeah. That's persistence. Right. Boundary crossing is I'm assuming that I know what's best for you because it's what's best for me. And that sounds like what happened with your family member. Mm -hmm. I know what's best for you because it's what's best for me. I want to like say that again. (laughs) Like this is where we get into murky waters, Mm -hmm. right? I know what's best for you because it's what's best for me. And like Mm -hmm. how many times like has either someone done that to you or have you done that to someone else? Yeah. And I think where we can start to identify that, and this isn't to shame anybody, but like also an awareness that sometimes shame will come up and shame is an important feeling that Mm -hmm. we can have. We just don't want to try to make someone feel it. When we ask for accountability, when we ask for clarity around like how our actions or someone else's actions have directly impacted a situation or a dynamic or a person's feelings Mm -hmm. or an experience of safety or clarity around their own boundaries. But being able to identify that we don't know what's best for someone else. We have to be interrelational with them in order to figure out how there is space to work. Because I've heard this said by so many people, boundaries don't keep people out. They show people where the door is. So Mm. not only can we do that for each other to show each other where our door is, but we can also look out for each other's boundaries too. Mm. Be like, oh, that person said no in these areas. They didn't address this area or they said a yes to this Mm -hmm. area. So let's approach the area that either is uncertain Mm -hmm. in 
and see and test the waters and then respect if it's a no, or go to the area that they said, this would be a yes for me Mm -hmm. and be respectful of that. Mm -hmm. Great example of that. My friend, Adam, and I've I've said this story before because I think it's brilliant. He came to speak to my students and he was talking about how early on in his career, he would take everyone to breakfast or brunch Mm -hmm. because he found that it was hard to get people at lunchtime and and dinner. Everyone wanted to be at home, but if he could be like, I'll take you pancakes, Mm -hmm. if you answer some of my questions, (laughs) people would be willing. He's like, you just got, you can't be afraid to ask. And if people mm-hmm. say no, they say no. Mm-hmm. And so he said this. And of course, like all these students are like, well, can we take you to breakfast? Because he's like, a, he's a very well-trained working actor. He's great. I don't know why I said trained. He's just a well-working actor. So I'm going to ask that. And he said, I'm really busy right now. Can you reach out to me in three months? And he told me afterwards that he does that because no just one will reach see. out in three months. And out of that room of like 60 people who asked, one person reached out in three months. But I thought that's a, that's a great example of that door, right? Yeah. Where it's like, not no, three months. Yeah. One person. Yeah. And I think that there's an alignment there too, where I think when things like that happen, we have to ask ourselves, okay, will this matter to me in three months? Mm -hmm. Do I want to come back and circle back in three months? Or am I taking it as a, this person is just brushing me off and they'll respond no anyways. Like, do Mm -hmm. we have that negative self-worth or are we also saying, well, maybe it's actually not that important to me that I don't want to circle back in three months. And that's okay. And that's okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you think people, when I ask this to someone who I feel, I feel this when you were talking about asking people about their boundaries, when you said that my like gut instinct was like, oh, that's so scary. Mm-hmm. Like, do you think people are afraid yes. to ask people why, why do you think that is? It's terrifying because you don't know and you're guessing and you're kind of like, it's like this dance, like this dance mm-hmm. of intimacy that we do. But at the same time, there is something I think embedded in and, and maybe I, I don't know that this is the case for every human being, but mm-hmm. certainly mine and my experience of feeling like I was supposed to anticipate other people's needs, mm-hmm. that there was something mm-hmm. valuable about my role very mm-hmm. specifically as a woman, as a healer, as, mm-hmm. a, as a teacher or a coach or facilitator, where part of my value mm-hmm. was being able to be anticipatory of what was going to be needed so mm-hmm. the conversations didn't need to happen and learning how to actually mm-hmm. not only allow those conversations to happen, but invite them mm-hmm. Even when maybe I would have anticipated correctly, but just to clarify, like just to clarify, this is what I'm thinking. Are we on the same page? It can both be really scary for my nervous system Mm -hmm. to be with the potential power of someone saying your instincts were wrong (laughs) according to my needs or they were right. And now we're on the same page. Well, now there's this sense of belonging where I'm also like afraid of and like, well, if I'm meeting someone's needs, do they actually need me? (laughs) There's this very strange thing there. I think there's also a certain level and I know we've talked about it before. It's like, I'm, I think not unlike both of you, I'm a helper and like, it is one of my survival mechanisms and I've spent many years over helping and then under receiving, Mm -hmm. but I I am now actively learning that when I anticipate and help before it's asked, I'm also taking away the opportunity for the other person to learn how to express what they need. Mm -hmm. Like very, very small example that I'm sure literally everyone has been in. Like when someone wants a ride somewhere and they're kind of dropping hints, but like not outright asking, Hey, can you drive me to X? They're like, Oh, well, are you going like, where are you headed to next? Oh yeah. Well, I need to be, I guess I should like, I don't know, like look up an Uber or something like they're, they're pushing and they're fishing and like 
the helper, it took, I, I was in a situation like this recently. I, I know, know, I know. You're laughing because you know what I'm talking about. exactly what you're talking about. But I, like, it took everything in me not to just go, well, why don't I drive you? I just was like, I just need to let them learn how to go, hey. And I told myself, I was like, if they ask, I will say yes. But they have to ask me if it's okay if I give them a ride to X. Mm-hmm. I was really proud of myself for never mm-hmm. asking. And they, they never asked. And so I didn't. And I felt really guilty about it the whole way I was driving to where I was going. But it's like, I think we've all been in that situation. And I think... By consistently living in a society, I think, especially with artists, where we're all trying to anticipate everybody's needs, it's why a lot of us have a really hard time verbally expressing our needs in a way that is healthy and effective, and we should be more comfortable with, but we're not. Mm-hmm. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I've been repatterning a lot of that very specific dynamic with my family mm-hmm. over the last couple of years, where <laughs> I have a couple family members that will not ask for what they need, mm-hmm. but they will drop hints mm-hmm. and they will, they will fish and they will paint themselves broken and not able to do the thing that mm-hmm. they are wanting to help with. Mm-hmm. And it is very fascinating to watch myself, watch them. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I just allow it to play out mm-hmm. and just let them do their thing. And if they ask, I'll either be clear about what I can or can't do. Mm-hmm. Or every once in a while, I will actually say, it sounds like you might need help with such and such. I'd be happy to help you if you'd like to ask, but I don't want to overstep boundaries if it's something you want to do on your own. And they've started to go, oh, and sometimes they don't ask. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, no, I'm not going to ask. Like, it's like, they're not allowed to ask yeah. because I think that's a self-worth yeah. connection yeah. on their end potentially. Yeah. And I've been that person too, because I right. learned that through their modeling sure. as yeah. people who raised me. Right. Yeah. So I definitely have a long history of being like, well, let me paint myself broken and maybe someone will come in and they'll mm-hmm. see. And I've had enough friends who are helpers mm-hmm. <laughs> who have anticipated my needs to the point where we do build connection that way. Yet at the same time, the more me and my sort of like very nuclear friendships have been rehabilitating that way in which we act with ourselves and one another yeah. and consciously call ourselves and each other out and have it mm-hmm. not be a source of shame, but a source of building clarity around like who we are individually, yeah. letting it be okay that we didn't know better before and that we want to find a different way forward because it helps us orient to where we actually are. And when we do need help to be willing to step into the bravery of the vulnerability of saying, mm-hmm. Hey, yeah. this would be really, this would feel really good right now. If I had help here, do you have the capacity for it? Yeah. Sometimes it's a yes, sometimes it's a no. But it doesn't have to mean that the that the relationship ruptures or ends, mm-hmm. which is what I used to think would happen. Yes. See, yeah, like say like hearing you say that, I'm like, oh, that sounds so lovely. Yeah. And like, wow. <laughs> you know, like I yeah. I'm I'm really not great with asking for help. And mm-hmm. and that I, I I struggle with that. And I think I said this to you once, but I'm not allowed to be mad or disappointed or resentful of someone not stepping in if I never asked them to yeah nor am I like allowed to be like resentful angry annoyed whatever if someone crosses a boundary that I've never once verbalized mm-hmm. or said out loud yeah. and it's like well they should know mm-hmm. and yeah. it's like maybe they don't know mm-hmm. they, they don't know if you don't tell they don't know and so I have to catch myself with that a lot of being like this person is asking this of me and then being like oh but they don't know. Cause I yeah. never said, I never said 
I just had this happen where I went and spoke at UCLA about their showcase because they don't have a teacher this year for that. And so they asked me if I could do a workshop for them. And I was like, absolutely. So I did a workshop with them and 50 people RSVP'd and four showed up. And so, Whoa. yeah, so I was like, okay, well, you four, here we go. So of course, after that happened, I got bombarded with emails from the students who didn't come asking for, can you look over this contract? Can you tell me about this rep? Can you, and I really, I was really angry and annoyed (laughs) with them. And so the sweet girl who set the, up the whole meeting, who was there, I emailed her and I was like, I'm struggling with this because were these people not able to make it to the meeting? And she wrote back and she was like, no, I don't know where they were. And I said, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to make one video, short video about how to do research on reps. Please send that out to everyone. because that's the main question I'm getting. Mm-hmm. And then kindly ask them to not email me unless they want to set up an appointment. Otherwise I do not have time and space for that. And she was like, of course, every single person has honored that. And it was part of me was like, why is that so hard? <laughs> and it was like because I know that my pride there's part of me that loves being the one that steps in and helps mm-hmm. but I have to be aware of my sanity and my yeah. care for them I want to I want them to graduate and I want to still love them yes you know yeah um but that was a big moment of like I'm gonna do this and no more and then being like oh people people can do that yeah okay and if someone crosses that the idea of like wanting them to graduate and wanting you to still love them too is interesting because it's true it's like when you continually don't verbalize a boundary and someone continually crosses it it will build resentment yes in the relationship and all of a sudden now this is a person that you are putting a lot of your own stuff on top of and Maybe you would express the boundary and behavior would change immediately. Maybe it wouldn't, but you're not giving either of you the opportunity to be there authentically and fully in a way that would actually build a relationship that is sustainable. Yes. You know, so it's almost like you, like I say you, I'm talking to myself, really. It's like, I have been in so many situations where I did my helper tendencies and felt like I was caretaking the other person and then also didn't express what I needed or my own boundaries. So I was constantly being walked all over. And now all of a sudden, not only am I resentful because they're walking all over me, but I'm resentful because I'm giving so much to this relationship and I'm getting nothing back. And I'm assuming that they're aware of this and they are using it. Some people are, but a lot of people aren't. Mm-hmm. And it's just a weird pattern that I think a lot of artists and a lot of empaths have. And it's a really hard one to unlearn. It really is. And I love what you brought up where some people are and some people aren't, you know? Right. And I think that that's where like this key, I keep coming back to this word discernment over the last mm-hmm. many years. And this is something I've learned by fire over the last <laughs> at least a decade. Sometimes I would be like, well, they must not know. I must not be communicating well. And then we would get to a point where I go, oh no, they knew they didn't care. Yeah. And those are the people I've had to sever ties with because they have not been healthy to my experience of safety and well-being. Yeah. And if I didn't have those very direct conversations with them, I wouldn't have known how misaligned at a core level we really were. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's another reason why it can be scary to have these conversations because mm-hmm. sometimes you do find out that on a core level, you are very misaligned and yeah. you cannot continue moving forward with certain people in your career or your yeah. friendship group, or even sometimes depending on how you're setting your boundaries and what your values are and how you're moving through the world. Yeah. 
I've done similar things with family members and, and that's really hard. Yeah. I have a hard question for you. Yeah. Speaking of like, some people just aren't aligned with you. Do you think that there are people who are not aligned with this career in terms of maybe like not just an acting career, but an artist's career because their boundaries are so, so closed that it doesn't allow for there to be work, expansive work, or even like work with other people. Am I articulating this well? I love this question. Let's keep going with it. Yeah. And unpack it. Because I feel, it feels like there's like a lot of rich, dense content in it. So for example, I'm sorry, I keep talking about UCLA. We are right now in the middle of the faculty having a very, not like an official conversation, but just amongst faculty members about in the past four years, there's been a lot of students who have very clear boundaries about, I will not accept notes. You Mm. cannot give me critiques. Mm. I will not be memorized next class because I am overwhelmed. Mm. Well, that's going to affect your grade. That should not be allowed because this is a boundary I'm setting. Mm. And it feels like an abuse of like the word also like an abuse of the word triggered, like, like, um, Hey, it's not professional for you to be on your phone while your classmates are performing. Mm-hmm. I'm really triggered by the fact that you just told me that mm-hmm. we had a conversation about this. Cause my, my roommate, I just want to quickly interject. Mm-hmm. My, my roommate from college is now in med school and she's studying a lot of neuroscience and she's, she is, I was telling her about your experience with a lot of your students. And as someone in the medical profession, she was like, this is infuriating because triggered is a real word that we use for a lot of psychological instances. She's like, when I'm working with people who have been diagnosed with PTSD and they're triggered, something physically happens in their body. And there are a lot of people who are adopting this word either in a joking way mm-hmm. or in a way to label very, very small moments. And she's like, it's frustrating as a medical professional because I feel like it is now minimizing a term that we are using to identify identify a physical response that someone is having because of psychological trauma. I just wanted to throw that in there because I I don't know. I think that there's a difference between being uncomfortable and feeling uncomfortable in because you're being challenged. Mm -hmm. You're being asked to grow or step into your potential. There's a difference between feeling uncomfortable in that and feeling unsafe and feeling like you're being abused or manipulated or your emotions are being taken advantage of or manipulated. And I've never had until you were talking, I was like, Well, maybe there are some people where it's like your boundaries aren't in alignment Mm. with feeling uncomfortable, which again, is different than I'm uncomfortable because I feel unsafe versus like, oh, I'm uncomfortable because like, I'm like rooting into something that like I've never really experienced before, or I'm being asked to like show up in a way I've never experienced before. And I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I, the word that keeps coming up is willingness to me. Mm-hmm. That came up earlier in our conversations, I think before the podcast. Like, are you willing to step into an experience of, of growth or mm-hmm. of abundance or joy or possibility? Yeah. Or, and, and truthfully, depending on the person, that could be legitimately terrifying depending on the experiences that they've had and what they've known. And I think the thing is that one, we have to take people at the value of what they're saying. And as performing artists, very specifically, we practice reading people Mm -hmm. and we get pretty good at calling bullshit. 
And at the same time, we don't know what's underneath the layers of that bullshit mm-hmm. because oftentimes bullshit covers up something very, very real. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think it's a tricky space to be in. And I think mm-hmm. that as someone who is facilitating education, I think that having those kinds of conversations and being like, look, some people will utilize it as a way to mm-hmm. not be uncomfortable mm-hmm. because their understanding of being uncomfortable is not something that they're willing or wanting to step into. I think if we are going to step into an experience of being an artist, there is a degree of uncertainty that is a part of the process of mm-hmm. becoming, unbecoming, layering, delayering, deconstructing, allowing, being creative. Like this is a part of like the dance and the flow of the intimacy of, of, of creative energies. Mm-hmm. And I think when that is identified and honored and taken a look at as like, okay, can we be safe in play? Mm-hmm. Truth is a lot of us, maybe even most of us are terrified of play yeah. because you have to have a certain baseline of safety in order to feel safe to play. Yeah. And what I would take from that instance where someone's saying something like that is they don't feel safe to play Mm -hmm. and however it manifests and maybe they are using it to manipulate a situation consciously or unconsciously Mm -hmm. almost doesn't matter but it's it's sort of like what's the framing of the either mindset or the circumstances or the experience that allows them to feel safe enough to allow the spirit of potential possibility to be in the mix because I feel like that sort of that artist's spirit that if I, I, this is my personal belief mm-hmm. and this is just how I choose to orient myself. I believe we all have that in us. Mm-hmm. Right. And there are a lot of people who feel the same way and, mm-hmm. and teach from that perspective. And I align with people who, who do teach from that perspective. There's a book, The Four Agreements. Mm-hmm. This book has come up in conversation so many times over the past two weeks. I feel like I need to. It's such a good book. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I love about that is there's one that's coming up right now. Don Miguel. Don Miguel Ruiz. Don. Such a beautiful. So it's, um, it is Toltec Wisdoms. So this is a, an indigenous tribe, I believe, from Mexico. Am I correct? I think so, yeah. I believe so. There are such beautiful alignments. There are four basic ones. But the one that's coming up right now for me is like, do your best, no more, no less. And I think mm. we're taught to do more than our best. Yeah. And sometimes when there's like a concept of that narrative driving an experience of whether it's a course or a career or like a relationship, sometimes boundaries become over rigid, almost like a testing. Will you respect me in my boundaries? Yes. Yes. That's yes. And I think that the only way you can grow is by feeling, it's weird, is by feeling uncomfortable and safe. Mm-hmm. Like, and I think that right. there is, I think that there is a right. clear, that's why I keep saying to them, if you feel unsafe, that's different than, ooh, I feel challenged, mm-hmm. which by its nature is going to feel uncomfortable. I hate improv. <laughs> I, hate it. I hated acting classes with acting games. Mm-hmm. I hated it. Even working on Macbeth and doing your movement stuff, so uncomfortable. I know I watched your body freeze up. You're like, I don't, I don't, do that. please don't make me move improvisationally. And that is that, but that, but as I'm doing it, I'm like, I'm learning so much. I am growing in those are all the classes I had my most growth voice class. Oh my God. Like breathing into all those spaces, body work, I think is uncomfortable breathing into the spaces. But the only way, the only way you're allowed to feel uncomfortable is by knowing that you're safe. Right. But I think you have to have both. And I think that it's, it's so easy to be like, no, I have a boundary. And like, yes, let those people. Yes, yes, yes. 
yes and you don't have to participate and it's just also a disservice you know like even earlier when we were like holding y'all missed this i'm so sorry but we, it was a beautiful moment we were holding hands <laughs> and we were saying lovely things about each other and like y'all came to me and i was like oh god like and it's such a lovely thing and yet i felt so uncomfortable like mm-hmm. we can feel uncomfortable in even lovely moments because it's just and i felt so safe with y'all still yeah. and i felt uncomfortable like i think that both they things can, can exist and that's where growth happens. But I think we've gotten really used to being like, I'm uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable. Here's my boundary. Stay back versus I'm uncomfortable and I'm safe. Okay. I can breathe into this and know yeah. that it's safe to feel uncomfortable. How many times can I say safe and uncomfortable? On this <laughs> well, I mean, that to me sounds like yoga, like a yogic yeah. experience, like yeah. yoga, meaning to yoke, to like kind of experience something where you are Mm, almost like a tantric thing where you are exploring the edges of a capacity and you're not going mm. too far too fast too soon and creating yeah. like a legitimate experience of something your body can't integrate which yeah. is where that trauma experience mm-hmm. comes from yeah. right and perhaps people have done that and so they become over rigid and over fixed yeah. with their boundaries because they don't want to experience that again right right yeah And at the same time, and for some of us, we do need to pull back completely and have very clear boundaries and have very clear understanding that people will respect them. And in those instances, it may or may not be the right time to enter into a training program Mm -hmm. that's going to be asking you to stretch and open into new ways of being very uncomfortable and very vulnerable in settings that can be safe and scary. And at the same time, depending on who is in your cohort, how Mm -hmm. your dynamics are with the people you're relating to, whether it's the people in charge or the people that you're learning alongside, it can legitimately be an unsafe experience. And I don't want to gaslight any of our listeners into thinking that they're instincts that this isn't safe for me to do are somehow and I think not even just a training program like any acting class or any class they have doesn't have to be an acting class I think knowing when you're in a growth phase and knowing when you're ready for that two years ago when I started doing the witness prep stuff I was so bad at it I was so bad at it so Alex says witness prep stuff. And Do you want to explain, explain what that uh, is? Yes. I prep witnesses and lawyers for trials and depositions and I had to be trained to do it. Cody was there for this. I was so bad at it. I cried all the time because there was many, a lot I was so around. bad at it and better now, but I had to go through a phase where I, and I found this thing online that was like, be okay with sucking at something new. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't know if I'm in a space to be okay with sucking with something new. And then finally it was like, but this is good. Cause I hadn't been challenged to that extent in such a long time. Not that everyone needs to cry like me. I just cried a lot. But I think knowing when you are in a season to be okay with sucking at something new, mm-hmm. whether that's a whole training program or a new acting class or an improv class, whatever it may be. And also exactly like you said, thank you for saying that. Also knowing when it is genuinely just not a good place for you to be. I was in an acting class out of New York and it was so abusive, not, not even towards me, towards other people in the class. She made fun of me, but I didn't feel abused. But I was like, I just don't want to be in an environment where like this is happening happening, right. and where this is okay. And that's, that was a difference of, I don't feel uncomfortable. I feel unsafe. Right. Yeah. And I think and when you are in certain training programs, depending on where you are and what's going on, there's a lot of intergenerational trauma that exists in our education system, mm-hmm. in our experience of training. Mm-hmm. And 
a lot of the people that we've trained from have been abused yeah. and whether they are trying to break cycles or not, there's still often layers of known or unknown conscious or unconscious ways in which they are teaching or facilitating are activating from a place of crossing lots of boundaries or of pushing too hard, too fast, too soon. And if we are in contact with people as an educator, as a facilitator, regardless of how we are or aren't coming into connection with our students or clients or whoever, if they're getting that from somewhere else, their yeah. defenses are going to be so mm -hmm. heightened that they might be overcompensating in areas where they feel like those boundaries will actually be respected to just mm -hmm. feel like they have some sort of control. Mm -hmm. And I think that we as humans will sometimes just to normalize it, right? We will do this sometimes in our different relationships too. Like yeah. maybe I have a friend that I know I can test a boundary with that I haven't felt comfortable testing in other areas of my life. And I'll be like, and it's sort of almost like, will you meet me here? Yeah. Can mm -hmm. I be safe enough with you where you will? respect me in this is it something that like our relationship really needs me to do this really yeah. hardcore with you right here right now no maybe not but for me and my identity and understanding that I have some sort of agency and some sort of experience of like self-solvency yes it is a very necessary experience for yeah. me I think also as performing artists, something that you said earlier, Marissa, was the idea of willingness and how it does kind of live on a, on a scale as does humans, as we work through trauma and patterns like that fluctuates day to day. And I think the idea of deciding if you're in a season where you're willing, you're willing to work through that stuff and you're willing to be uncomfortable in mm -hmm. safe spaces is a really interesting conversation to have. And it's story that kept coming up for me was I have this memory of being in, there was a lot happening in my personal life. And it was just, it was one of those days where, you know, it's like I was up and in class and I was just on the verge of tears all day for like eight different reasons. Cause there was a lot happening with my family and having to be in class training and doing emotionally vulnerable activities. Like there was one movement class that we had towards the end of the day, which was basically just movement improv, which I happen to love, but like, I just did not have the capacity to jump in. And I remember our movement teacher at the time kind of coming up to noticing it and coming up to me and like checking in and being like, where are you at? What's going on? How can I help? And I kind of like, you know, I very much shut down when I'm emotional. I was like, I, I kind of did that. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. And she was kind of like, okay, well, whatever's going on. She's like, I would just encourage you. She's like, just jump into the space once it can be for five seconds. She's like, I just think it will be useful for you to learn that. And I was like, oh, whatever. Okay. So I jumped into the space and like, again, jumped right back out pretty much immediately. But like, there was a lesson in as a performing artist, there have been times now in my career where I've been in a show that has been running through a personal issue that I've had. And I have had to go to the theater and go on and perform, even though I'm on the verge of tears personally. And I think there's a lesson in being willing to have all of what comes with being a human being going on while I was training and being in a space where I felt like I was held and safe, but also being encouraged to glean what I could in terms of learning from an experience of being an emotional human 
who has chosen an emotional and vulnerable profession. And I think, I just think it comes back to willingness. I think, I think there are going to be days as a performer where if you're doing a show that runs for, you know, if you're a series regular on a show, that's a completely different thing. But my tangible experience recently has been theater. And so it's like, as an actor, you're going to be asked to act on, hopefully, if you have a successful career, you're going to be asked to act on days where maybe you don't feel like acting. And learning how to do that is just as useful as viewpoints, lob, and breath work, you know? Yeah, you're building up your capacity for it. Yeah. Some might call it resilience. I, I, I do think that obviously we talk balance as well. And I think that there has to be a work-life balance and, and knowing mm-hmm. what we're capable of. But I mean, that's the thing though, like your life is always going to be running alongside your career yeah. and your life is never going to be perfect. Mm-hmm. We can hope for balance, but there's going to be days where you're performing when you're going through a breakup or you're going through a move right. or your mom is sick or something like that's going to happen. And knowing when to tap out and also yeah. knowing when you can't because it's opening up. Right. And you have no understudy. And how do you, how do you hold space for both? Yeah. In those moments when I've had to carry on, carrying on, when things were falling apart otherwise, those have sometimes been the most transcendent experiences of mine. Yes. That's like some of the thing. best performances. Yes. Yes. Like some of those dropped in. And I think part of that is like a part of my mind checks out and I bypass that's exactly into my instincts and there is some sort of channeling that happens it becomes like a spiritual experience where I'm all of a sudden I've given over the reins Mm -hmm. and I'm allowing something else to move me through the motions yeah hopefully Mm -hmm. I know my lines enough and my blocking enough or my choreography enough depending on what I'm doing yeah where I can just show up and allow it to be alive in the moment sometimes when you have nothing left to give what is just present is not only enough but sometimes is exactly what's needed yeah Yeah. that's why Jersey Kotowski would like wear out his company members and mm-hmm. people say they do their best work when they're sick it's like all you can do is just be present and listen and yeah again that's that like uncomfortable thing like yeah. knowing like oh this isn't gonna be easy but it's gonna be it's not gonna be easy but I can let it be what it is and there's ease in that yeah if that makes yeah. sense and I think there's something because <laughs> I went to UC Irvine right and mm-hmm. so Krasowski was there teaching and there was this oh. barn and a yurt that yeah. he was like known for like holding a bunch of movement stuff Hey everyone, stepping in here for a quick side note on Grotowski. I mentioned Grotowski taught at UC Irvine, and I realize it might sound as though I went there while he was teaching, and that is very much not the case. <laughs> he taught at UCI from 1983, which happens to be the year I was born, through 1986, and I'm going to link more in the show notes in case you'd like some more reference materials about his time at Irvine. There's something so deeply poetic and spiritually guided about his approach, something I resonate with deeply, which brings me to an invitation for you. I want to invite you into a new online community that I've opened, the Self-Care Garden. This is a place for connecting with restorative practices, invitations for expanding into embodied creative growth, and a soon-to-be-blooming garden of tools for cultivating more relational wellness. It's also a place where I'll be sharing the full video conversations of all of these podcast episodes when I have the guest's approval, of course. Ah, gosh, but I am so happy to welcome you into this virtual space over on Patreon. And we already have our first garden member. Welcome, Stephanie Sang. I'm so excited to dive into practice with you. Stephanie and I know each other from my very first acting class outside of college. 
and she has come to one of my artist circles that I've been hosting over the pandemic. So if you'd like to come and connect with us on the second Sunday of each month, 10 a.m. Pacific time, all calls will also be recorded for self-paced practice within the garden. It would feel so nice to invite you into community for self-care practices and relational well-being. And now, back to my conversation with Cody and Alex. One of my mentors, Annie Louie, who's a movement. Um, oh, I, I have Annie's book. We have Annie's book. I love Annie's book. I love Annie. <laughs> I love Annie's book. It's an excellent book. I she use it all the time. Book. I love that. Yeah, yeah, I used to use it when I was teaching contact improv. And I loved being able to utilize her book, but also like having the time with her in that space. Like there was something that I didn't take her classes at Irvine, but I was in one of her performances there as an actor that she directed. And then I worked with her a little bit afterwards and she's, we have continued over the course of the years. It's been a minute now. I need to reach back out to, to circle back and cycle back mm. to, you know, how have you been? What are you doing? I love the work that you yeah. do. What are you, you know, she's always been very encouraging of me. And there's something about that sort of space that mm. I learned about because we did study at least a little bit in my courses about Grotowski because I think I went to Irvine. So there was like, well, we better talk about it. Um, but also I've studied a little bit with some incredible physical theater uh, performers who have sort of a Grotowski-ish sort of vibe to them. And there is something about going into that space where it doesn't happen because you're self flagellating yourself like you're not beating yes, yourself up yeah. to get there yes but it is this sort of like induced trance state mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. you are wearing yourself out and you're very tired and I've I've been led into that kind of space many times by by both theater practitioners as well as uh dance uh, creative movement people and there's this really beautiful experience of like what happens when the body is taken to its fullest capacity but without self-harm mm-hmm. yeah yeah yes yeah 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 and I keep coming back to it but I think that that's that like I'm still safe mm-hmm. like I'm not yeah. harming myself I'm not being harmed I'm being pushed but I'm not being harmed mm-hmm. and I think that those two can very easily get and then, you're right and then, then there gets to be like a danger zone there right because right. depending on who's leading and hosting and facilitating like if they're in a place where whatever energy they're running has some sort of like gosh we've got so much patriarchal yeah. colonizing mm-hmm. kind of energy that is dominating our right. understanding of what it means to be in a quote-unquote power position mm-hmm. and so if that is there at all <laughs> it's going to be colonizing yeah. right so I think that like checking oneself, if you're leading and hosting something, but also yeah. checking you're in with like, do I feel unsafe? And is it because I have my own stuff I'm needing to work through? Or is it because there's something really going on? I think the thing the is like learning how to identify what unsafe actually is, mm-hmm. because I think sometimes, I don't, I mean, I, I, this isn't a fully formed thought, but like the idea that people are claiming to be not, not claiming people are saying that they feel unsafe in situations that maybe from the outside look very safe in terms of like, you just told me to get off of my phone because someone's performing, I'm triggered now. Mm -hmm. Like, I I think there is a certain learning curve to identifying, okay, what, what do I feel unsafe with because I'm dealing with something that I didn't realize I was carrying with me and it's coming up and now I'm feeling very 
uncomfortable and vulnerable in a way that I don't want to be in this space? Mm -hmm. And when am I feeling unsafe because the situation that I'm in is actually not okay. And I think that's a, that can be a very fine line. Mm -hmm. And depending on how much you've actually been exposed to unsafe feelings and situations, it can be a, a really hard thing to distinguish in terms of what's happening, like what is actually happening right now. And I think when you're in an exhausted state, either physically or emotionally, having the ability to mentally sit down and go, what's happening right now? Is it something that's coming up for me that I'm not comfortable with? Mm -hmm. Or is it something that's happening in a situation that's actually making me unsafe can be really difficult to navigate. Mm -hmm. And I think that's such a great thing to bring up. And at the same time, like a piece that I've been really interested in Mm -hmm. is what if it doesn't matter which one it is? (laughs) What if if the point is, is there is a lack of safety? Yeah. And so what is the safety that needs to be supported? Like, how do we negotiate and navigate that either individually for ourselves by saying like, look, this actually legitimately is something I think I need to take some time and space to go process, whether that means dropping a class or Mm -hmm. having a conversation with my instructor after class or taking a break and just clearing my head and going for a walk or just being quiet and in stillness and choosing not to engage and just being passive for a moment while you Mm -hmm. let your emotions run through your body, Mm -hmm. but that there is something going on that is activating. And there is a lot of metaphor, I think that will come into play, especially in a, in something like an education system or in an industry experience or a, Mm -hmm. a, a production where ultimately at the end of the day, a lot of these systems are run by capitalism. Right. Yep. And I think that the work that we do as artists, it's not, it's a gift. Right. Mm-hmm. And so when there's something that feels in conflict with that, sometimes that feel for me, at least I'm just going to speak for myself, that inherently feels unsafe. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that that finding a way, like what I want to breathe into that would feel so good to me is to just work and breathe and be and play with other groups of artists who understand that like, it's okay to be human. It's okay. Sometimes phone calls come up and I'm going to leave the room and I'm going to do this, but like, we come back a little, like I mentioned to these girls earlier, like I've been looking a lot into um, neurodivergence and like ADD, ADHD, and I haven't been diagnosed, but I resonate a lot with, um, with ADD qualities. And I think as artists also, we train into that kind of neurodivergence on purpose. Yeah. And so if we are naturally already neurodivergent in that way, it can be an asset. And also some of us who might not be predisposed, we will train our brains to work divergently and be more creative and find more possibilities. And I think that that is also challenging when you then come back into some sort of a system that's asking you to be like off your phone and uh, do your focus and show up in this way. And Mm -hmm. then you're going to be graded. And then we're going to decide whether or not you're going to move on to the next class. And regardless of of how wonderful and inviting of complexity as a teacher is, I know I've struggled as an instructor in Mm -hmm. like a college setting or in a studio setting where I feel like the fundamental framework of what it is I'm being asked to come in and do mm-hmm. and what it is that I know breeds the safety and the stretching of capacity, the way that I'm interested in doing it are yeah. kind of like, mm-hmm. it's, it's hard. It's been challenging. It's been a challenge for me to find access yeah. to the breadth of 
creative spirit that I want to bring into something. Yeah. And oftentimes, a lot of the students that I find do the best work in my classes or the, the work that I'm looking to give life to yeah. are the students that a lot of other teachers have a hard time with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting. I, I don't need to fully go into this, but I was working in the front of house and then was watching a, a production this past weekend where I, I just noticed a bunch of interesting things. Like there was a gentleman who came and this is a three hour show and it has two intermissions. He showed up, he showed up late. So we couldn't see him until this, the first intermission, right? So we missed the first chunk of the show. And then also he was like, this was the only day I could come to see the show. I really, really want to see it. This is an important story to me. I also have to be in Marina Del Rey to get on a boat for my best friend's wedding mm-hmm. at like 6 p.m. Do I do I stay? And then is there a way I can leave halfway through the final act? And like the theater's mm-hmm. policy was like we only let people sit or leave during intermission. But like he really like again, it's it's the production of Angels in America happening right now, and it was very very personal for him in, in a lot of ways. And so you know, as you know, we, we kind of just made the executive decision as front of house to like put a chair at the very side of the audience so that he could stay as long as he possibly could, and then right. left. But I know like as an actor on stage, Mm -hmm. just like, I don't know if the actors were told that that was happening or what, but I know as personally, as an actor who's seen people leave in the middle of the scene that I've been in before, like you, like you don't know what's happening in people's lives. And I think a lot of times, I don't know, we can color it personally. So if someone leaves in the middle of a scene as an actor, it's because I'm horrible or as an actor in a college setting who's doing their monologue and someone's on their phone, it's personal because I'm not good and I'm boring them. Like, we don't know if that person's mom is in the hospital and someone is t- like, I think it's really hard for human beings sometimes to remove the I've done something wrong. Right. And that's why this behavior is happening. Right. And it was just an interesting lesson for me to be in that situation and like watch it happen as an, at first as like a person who tried to facilitate it. And then as an audience member and as an audience member watching him leave and watching the actors clock him leave Mm -hmm. being like, Oh, I feel this in my soul. Mm -hmm. And I want to, I want to explain it to them because this, you know, this audience, I don't know. There's just, there's so much happening under the surface that we can't see all the time. And I don't know how to, you know, it's like, it's, it can be really hard to just, create constant space for that but how beautiful if we could how beautiful if we could mm-hmm. wouldn't that be great I think that that's a th- that's something that I keep coming back to yeah. in the teachings that I want to do with self-care for performers yeah is that there is always like a complex experience always happening under the surface there's yeah. so much going on under the surface but I do think that like I do think there's something where we can't and this is maybe going to sound really jaded but we can't <laughs> assume other people are going to hold space for that so we have to create that mm-hmm. so like yes. I have found that whenever I lead an exercise I always give them an escape route mm-hmm. if you feel overwhelmed do this no one ever has literally ever done that thing I teach them mm-hmm. if you feel if you feel overwhelmed they have this step out you can do you can also go into this corner you can just stay here and go into a child's pose and breathe no one has ever ever done that yeah. but knowing that it's there I think allows them to do it, but we can do that for ourselves because not every teacher, not every theater, not every scene partner, not every director, because you know what? I hate to say it. Y'all might hate me, but it's not their job. Yeah. Like Mm -hmm. as a director, I can make a safe environment, but I'm also in charge of lighting sound to go to each individual performer and go, if you need to step out here, go over here. You have to have 
the agency and the ownership. And that is so fucking hard because we aren't allowed permission to do this, Yeah. but to go, what do I need? And that's why what you are doing, Marissa, is such a gift because you're giving people the agency and the ownership to do that, to go communicate that, but to go, there's no one on set. Who's going to tell me how to take care of myself on set, except for me. Yeah. Because not every theater department or theater company is going to set a chair out or let the actors know, right. You have to have your own escape route. (laughs) Yeah. But we are never taught that in school and we're not taught that on set because it is assumed that you will do that for yourself. Yeah. Or it's assumed that you won't. Or it's assumed that you won't. You'll just keep trugging along and being being a good little worker. But I think you have to know, like, what are my, like, what are the tools in my toolkit that I know I can't use in this moment in the scene Mm -hmm. because I can't go there? Mm -hmm. What are my memories that I know I can't go, go there right now because they're not helpful? When do I know when I'm in it and when do I know when I'm losing control of it and when do I know when I'm just losing control yeah and how do I get out of that so that I'm so that I'm not making in this again this is not horrible so I'm not making my process everyone else's problem on set you know like yeah if you this is a weird example but if you are using some sort of emotional memory recall thing because it gets you there in the moment but then you can't pull yourself out of it yeah that's not safe for you and that's also not safe for the other people on set yeah. Like you have to know your limit, your boundary, and you have to give yourself an escape route because no one else will do that for you. And that might sound really harsh. And I wish it was otherwise, but like, they just won't. I've never been on a set where a director's given me like space, a safety blanket for that. You know, like you just have to do it for you. They'll give you space in the sense of you do what you need to do, but they won't tell you how to do that because they don't yeah. know your inner workings. Does that make sense? Of course it makes sense. And I think the thing is, is that like, for me, in the experience of no, like, sometimes I have known I could ask for that space and I could give it to myself and I have no idea what the fuck I need. Yeah. Like I don't know myself. Yeah. I don't have a sense of self-understanding, self-concept, self-identity, mm-hmm. self-care. Like I have spent my life giving myself over mm-hmm. to the director, the producer, the mm-hmm. parent, the the, the concept of career or trajectory or, or educational system. And I've let other people tell me what it is that's needed in the moment. And then all of a sudden I'm supposed to know. That's yeah. that agency piece. Yeah, like no. what, like, do I even, do I, yes, sorry. Yes. You. yes. No. And I love it. And I, th- I don't think you're wrong. I think that you're right. And I think that for all of the millions of people out there who will be listening to this podcast, but, uh, but all of the people out there that don't understand how to even find that, like, yeah. I want to just let you know that there's nothing wrong with you for not having no, yeah. known that already, for not identifying those things already. Taught. It's not taught. And I think that it, Alex is right. Like, those are things that are our, that are our responsibility. Yeah. They are something for us each to delve into, to dive into, to understand through a sense of self-intimacy. What is it that I do need? And if we don't have intimacy in our relationships because we're over-functioning and not actually asking people Mm -hmm. what they do or don't need and not and afraid to have those conversations and therefore not having them even with ourselves then that's going to be a really hard thing to know and to navigate and so I think we need to really build a clear relationship with ourselves a really deep understanding whether you want to call it your inner child work or whether you want to Mm -hmm. call it a relationship with your inner artist or the aspects of your softness or your vulnerability or whatever it is you call it. But there is some sort of relationship that you 
can and I invite you to and clearly Alex is mm-hmm. advocating for but to get to know yourself and yeah. I mean and it doesn't have to be such high stakes like we're talking about yeah. now the idea is like for Sylvia over performers it's like do it when it's low stakes to introduce this to me earlier and I was like why yes of yeah. course that makes total sense yeah so that when high stakes come you the understand hardest. you have you have your experience already yeah. you already have the rapport with yourself where you can be like what's going on self well I feel really overwhelmed right now and I'm really uncomfortable and I just ah! right and then yeah. it freaks out you go oh, oh, oh okay and you have a way to talk to yourself yeah. a little bit like a little self-parenting or whatever mm-hmm. And you can be like, okay, well, would it feel good to maybe step out for 10 minutes? No, I need to go home now. Right. And then your inner experience will respond. But if you cultivate a voice that you have that can be caring and self-soothing, regardless of what 98% of the rest of you is going through in Mm -hmm. a given situation, then at least you have some some sort of connection to a a piece of your consciousness that can hold space for your experience Mm -hmm. and can hold space for the artistic experience too. And that way, when you do are doing some sort of emotional recall, right. Where you would potentially get lost in something. If you build the capacity to have some sort of a tethering to your consciousness that is aware of everything at all times. So even if you do recall something very legitimately triggering not just using that word mm-hmm. yep. mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. that you use the trigger and you legitimately go into a state of somatic trauma induced mm-hmm. experience and that carries you through a scene mm-hmm. then there's a piece of you who can either see or feel deeply whether that's up and above and out mm-hmm. or down and in at the core but whatever it's at some sort of edge of you yeah. that can hold an awareness of grounding orientation yeah. and redirect you to the actual present moment as opposed to getting lost into the psychology of the swirl and the chaos and yeah. the what ifs and that this is where I'm being carried right now do you want to know what mine is yeah sorry I do I have I've never told anyone this this mm-hmm. is so strange but you just said this and I was like oh yeah it's it's my little fisher woman I have a little fisher woman she's on a little boat and when I'm going down deep into something I'm on like a little fishing line so it's like tea tiny no one else can see it it's just a little fishing line and I'm down there swimming and all the crap and all the murk and all the emotional shit but I know I'm attached to the little fish, fishing lady up in the boat mm-hmm. and when I want to come up she just wheels me back up and that's like the only way I know to feel safe. It's like there's oh, this, I'm connected that. to this fishing line. And so I'm like below the surface of something and down deep. And you're just like, maybe they're up here. And I'm like, yeah, that's Louise. She's right up there. And, I'm like, <laughs> the line. and she pulls me up when she I went, me. And she, she, she pulls me up when I need air. And she pulls me up when I've had enough. But like, I feel safe again, feeling safe and being uncomfortable. Yeah. I feel safe going down into like the crap because I have a way out. That's that escape route. I have an yes. escape route. Yeah. I have a way out. But you're right. No one talks about this. Nobody talks about it. And mine is that, you know, those old school diving uniforms where they've got like, they've got that window at the front of their mask and it's like all like, it looks like it's made out of lead and they're just heavy and they go to the bottom and there's a, like an actual tube that goes all the way up and then it it carries the Mm airflow down. And I imagine that I have a tube of air that comes to the very top of my skull and I take that with me with all of the I don't only do this kind of work inside of performing arts yeah. practices. I also do it like for my yeah. own self-healing at home, like weirdly in my living room by myself, having these performance art experiences. Yeah. Um, 
because there are certain kinds of energies that are that are a part of my psyche that I'm like, what is going on here? <laughs> and I'm not ready to share this with anybody. So let's walk around my living room and like yeah. embody some very dark stuff. Yeah. And so I'll use that metaphor for myself of like mm-hmm. being like a deep sea diver and having that like access to, to just air on the top. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I find it interesting yeah. that for both of you, it's like underwater, it's down, mm-hmm. right? Like, cause that's like the element of emotion yes, and yes. feeling all the things. I love that. Do you have some experience? I don't. I'm kind of like, I'm, I'm, as I'm listening to both of you talking about it, I'm realizing that like go, going there has always felt very unsafe for me. And I have, I have, I've only, and Alex says, I've only like recently gotten into therapy at the beginning of my years of, of, you know, journeying, journeying. So I've been in therapy now for like a year or two. And I am like just now realizing that there are a lot of experiences that I have that I think will eventually be really useful to kind of unpack and use and explore as an artist, but I'm not at a point yet where I feel like I have an escape hatch or I have a safe way to go down there. Mm. And, uh, and, and, and also know I can come back from, Mm. if that makes sense. Yeah. I also think there's okay to have, there are certain things I will never pull from. Yeah. Because, because even though I have Louise, otherwise yeah you know that Louisa I'm on the end of her fishing like that's still not safe yeah and so I have to trust that an experience that feels so small and minute can in my imagination be expanded to be something huge and scary yeah and that I can go there rather than going into my own huge scary place and that's just me and knowing that like there was a moment where I was in Atlanta playing a person who was kidnapped and her door gets kicked Mm -hmm. down in the middle of the night and she gets murdered the night before we shot that my door got kicked down in the middle of the night (gasps) yeah Yeah. what in an airbnb and the guy guy got arrested is this whole thing and so on set the next day i didn't tell anybody because i didn't want anyone to be like worried about me in that moment like is she going to be triggered literally and so and 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 i thought did i feel you stuff and i was like no. <laughs> no, 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 I should not. No, no, no. no. There was no, there was no Louise in that case. Louise is not the time. Louise is gone. <laughs> and I have not used that since. Yeah. And, and to be honest, I feel fully worked through that. I've, I've, yeah. I've worked through therapy through for that, but I still, I'm just like, there's just something in me that's like, that one. Yeah. no, no. And so I can pull on a myriad of other scary moments that were, you know, deep, deep, Cody and I have this inside joke. She was trying to tree once and she was like, that that I can just expand, you know, yeah. and and that is always to me that that is just as powerful and effective. Yeah. We well, don't it, have to yeah. torture ourselves. Oh, oh yeah. That. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. We don't have to torture ourselves. <sighs> that is such a huge one. Because I feel like I there's this concept of the tortured artist. No, mm-hmm. I made it. it drives me crazy. Mm-hmm. Unhealthy. Mm-hmm torture mm-hmm. starving <laughs> right yeah. starving yeah that's a big one and i yeah. think that like we've talked about julia cameron's the artist's way yeah <laughs> love her i'll probably talk about her in that book on every single podcast episode that I do. <laughs> but, 
but like legitimately changed my life and, and is still changing my life based on those teachings, because some of it, I'm still trying to live into. And one of those is, is like, you don't have to be a tortured artist. Like really question yourself. Like what are the, what are the narratives that you've inherited of what it is you think it needs to mean in order to show up for what you're called to, if you are called to being a creative and artist. Yeah. Yeah. I also just want to say, I think this conversation is so important. I know we've mentioned like Mm -hmm. all of these tools, these beautiful tools that you're disseminating can be used, not just within, you know, the creating sphere, but also Mm -hmm. in relationships. I also just want to say, like, I think even for people who aren't artists, you know, like my sister's a surgeon and thinking about like, what does she need in order to do her best work? And like, you know, she gives so much of herself to save other people's lives. Yeah. And it's like, what does she need in order to step into that space? And what are the moments when she might not feel like stepping into that space? Like she still's got like my dad used to always, my dad's doctor used to always say like, I can't have a day where I'm like, I'd rather not save your life, right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So it's like, what do they need? in order to take care of themselves and their souls when they lose a patient or when they can't help. Like, I think this is such, these, these conversations are obviously directly applicable to to artists because we're just like, it's my soul, but, um, very much so for it, for anyone in any field. I think, I think a lot of people struggle with this. And And humans really hard. Yeah. Being human is really hard. And back to the four agreements with uh, yeah. Don Miguel and Ruiz, what he talks about is like being a human is being an artist. Like we yes. are the artists of our lives. Yes. We are born and, as creators. Yes, Love that. absolutely. And I think that all of these conversations are totally universal and mm-hmm. totally applicable to anybody who has a craft, anybody mm-hmm. who chooses, to, whether it's your life is the experience mm-hmm. of craft and, or you have some sort of uh, dedicated practice that you keep showing up to, yeah. whether, it, I mean, it can be motherhood. It can be, right. it can oh, be a yes. myriad of different things, right? Yeah. It doesn't have to be, I am pursuing a career as an actor, right? Mm-hmm. Or a dancer, or I'm going to go on tour, or I'm going to be a writer and get published. Or right. It doesn't have to be those things. It can be, I am showing up every you know, every day to caretake for this, this Mm -hmm. person in my life who Mm -hmm. can't take care of themselves on their own because Mm -hmm. they don't have the capacity, or I am showing up to be in relationship with a certain dynamic with, with my friends or my Mm -hmm. significant other. And I want to do it in a way that feels authentic and is bringing tools and resources for communication and for possibility and for potential and to being connected to a moment. Cause I think as Mm -hmm. artists, like we do draw on creative energy. We do draw on the potential of a moment and we do alchemize moments Mm -hmm. and those beat shifts that we have those willingness to be with the discomfort of a transitional space and to be able to experience a button and sit with the sort of evolution of what happens in a quiet moment as something changes yeah those are so important yeah Ah, oh, thank you guys. Oh, this is wonderful. Thank, thank you, you for having us. Can you share with our listeners in case they're like, I love these women. I need <laughs> to know what they do and how I can work with them. Tell us where we can find you and also what you offer. Well, we have the Alex and I have a podcast. If, you, if you're listening to this podcast and you're like, I want to listen to more podcasts, we have a podcast about Shakespeare cocktails and conscious casting. And Marissa was actually on and Marissa was on our guest. So you can go, so yeah, fun. you can go listen to her Shakespeare and magic episode. It was so fun. But our goal as a podcast is to um, continually prove that theater and Shakespeare in particular should, should, cannot and should not be 
white, elite, rich, and academic. It is, it is something that is for all. And Shakespeare wrote the human condition so well that any human being can step into any role and it will work. So we bring different actors from various backgrounds on to give us their take of a certain Shakespearean character. Yes. And also there's cocktails. You can follow us at ShakePod. At ShakePod. Um, I am Cody Jackman and I am an actor, but I also do um, branding and alignment for actors. So I help actors tune in to who they are as authentic human beings. And I help them infuse that into their materials as an actor, whether it's website, social media, headshots, reel, to make sure that you are authentically representing yourself as a human and as a performer so that when you walk into a room, casting gets exactly who they were expecting. Also, I read tarot cards. Tell them where you can find can find. Oh yeah, things. I'm Cody Jackman. So come find me at Cody Jackman. Cody is spelled with a K and an I just to be complicated. And then your tarot. Um, yes, the Archer Tarot. So what I do with tarot reading is I give you a reading and then I send you journal prompts and activities that you can do to further the messages that came up because I am an action-driven person. So I always got frustrated when I was getting readings and I'd be like, great, this information is cool. So yeah. I have I have created yeah, a system now where you not only get a reading and we can unpack stuff that's happening in your life, but you can then also take all of that with the suggested activities and journal prompts, work on it, and then come back and we further the growth. It's lovely. I have done it. Um, I'm an actor and a coach. You can find me at the underscore Alexander Wright. I also have a community called the Delta Community. It's an online community for actors, daily steps towards mastery. We do resources and monthly guests. We've actually also had Marissa. And you can find us at the underscore Delta Delta Community. And if you're interested in witness prep, uh, (laughs) you can follow us at Active Communication. And they can find you at the underscore Alexander Wright. Yes. The end. Oh my God. I love it. Go hire these women. They're also, (laughs) by the way, I have to say, phenomenal fucking performers. So hire them for support and also hire them to just light up your stage (laughs) or your screen. And yeah, no, I'm not gonna stop. You just just say thank you. I'm gonna receive it. Thanks. I receive it. I receive it. And um I also want to say that we were talking a lot earlier about the importance of sisterhood Mm -hmm. and friendship and being encouraging and celebratory of one another and how that is something that we are often pitted against one another as performing artists, but also as women. Mm -hmm. And that that doesn't have to be that way. And the three of us really firmly are rooted and have deep beliefs in that there is enough to go around. And when we Mm -hmm. succeed, our community succeeds. We want to pay it forward. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yes. just yeah, I'm like, I just want to say this because it's something that someone once said to me, and I, I just love it. It's just because someone books a job doesn't mean that there's one less job out there for you. Like, especially now in this industry with streaming services and like there, there are literally infinity jobs that are out there. So and I I do, I think what you're saying about like when one person in your community starts succeeding, it's just gonna ripple out into mm-hmm. you. And I think the more that you can just be in, in a space of gratitude and encouragement of the, the people and the women around you, especially in, in a collective of female identifying people, it, it's just going to continue to ripple outwards. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Mm. Rising tides raise all ships. Mm. Oh, say that one more time. Nice Rising tides raise all ships. Yeah.
<laughs> you have to sign out too. Say, or the sirens. I'm like, nah, let's just be old hags. We can do that too. Old hags. Here it is. All of it. Thank you, ladies, so much for being here. Thank you. We will continue to chat on, but uh, we will also sign off with our listeners. Thank you for being here with us. Bye bye. Bye bye. Till next time. Hugs, hugs, hugs. Mm, Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. It means so much to have your hearts on this journey with me as I discover how to have meaningful community conversations in podcast form, (laughs) which is my current edge. If you would like to support this podcast to help sustain my bravery for future episodes, you can become a supporter with a small monthly donation. Or if you'd like to dive into a committed one-on-one coaching container with me, Follow the link in the show notes for inquiry. This is the deepest and most intimate work that I offer, and so the monetary exchange is designed to reflect that value. For those who desire to connect to my work with greater accessibility, I do offer community support and group coaching over in the newly announced self-care garden and would absolutely love to see you inside. Until next time, be well.